Have you ever heard of Simple Practice? It's an electronic medical record system, aka EMR, let's just say it for short, that is so user-friendly even I can figure out how to use it. Seriously though, y'all, they made it so, so easy. There's so much customer support and tutorials. They made it much less daunting whenever it was just little me starting my practice. And also they make it super simple and convenient for you to be able to add therapists if you decide you ever want to grow. This was 100% instrumental in helping me when I was starting my practice. Using simple practice whenever I started my private practice definitely made the road, we'll just say, a little less bumpy. Check the link in the show notes to get yourself one free month of simple practice. Let's do it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Speech Goods, a podcast where we showcase awesome SLPs doing awesome traditional and non-traditional SLP things. Myself and the guest on this show are here to talk about the goods, the bads, and the untamable parts of ourselves and our SLP careers, and how, despite the challenges of everyday life, have just done the dang thing, loving what we do. I'm your host, Danny Augustine. I went from burnt out, dissatisfied with my SLP job, to dusting off my big girl pants, sprinkling some determination in my 20 cent coffee, and starting my own debt-free private practice. Now, I love my work and career and wouldn't trade it for anything else. It was support and wisdom from others around me that helped me refine my why. In the show, I hope you find support and wisdom of your own. Today for our guest, we have Ms. Paige Rosano, MSCCCSLP. Paige is a first-generation, debt-free, holla, bachelor's and master's graduate. She is a speech-language pathologist who currently works as a school-based SLP and also owns her own private practice called Blooming Speech Therapy, where she works with children in their homes. She also runs an informative speech-language pathology Instagram page where she supports fellow SLPs and upcoming undergraduate and graduate SLPs. Her Instagram handle is at the speechy page, P-A. I-G-E. I know. So stinking cute, right? Okay. This was such an interesting conversation with Paige. So I'm super, super glad you're here to listen to it. Paige is still pretty early on in her career and she gives us a lot of insight into getting through graduate school without having to take on a significant amount of loan. And just her ability to just do the dang thing, um, almost kind of like without question, it was super, super interesting and inspiring to get to listen to her. Like at one point I asked her, was debt or failure or not doing it ever an option? And she really starts to talk about some of the difficulties that she faced with imposter syndrome and really believing that she could do it. And then she just did the dang thing. We also talk about how she's a first generation college student in her family and a lot of the pressures and expectations and roadblocks that come along with that. This is just a really real raw conversation that we got to have. And we even talked about how she just started her own private practice and some of the adventures that she's beginning to have there. This is such a great conversation with such a great lady. If you're in graduate school or early on in your career, thinking about starting a private practice, curious about the financial piece of it, you're 100% for shiz my is going to want to keep listening. Okay, let's do the dang thing so you can stop listening to me and start listening to Paige's kick booty story. Hello, 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 Paige. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing? I am fantabulous on this Sunday night getting to chit chat with you. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to chat with you. (laughs) Oh yeah. We get like, we talk in our DMs and we share each other's posts on Instagram, but like, this is the first time that we've actually gotten to have like a conversation conversation. Although we send voice messages sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Paige, tell us you have this Instagram page, doing very well. Instagram page, you create content. We read in your bio, got through grad school. It's grad and undergrad debt free, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, there's a first generation grad. Now, are you a first generation college grad or like post college grad? First generation college grad. So, okay. So, bachelor's. Got you. Okay. So, your parents didn't do college, your first like for anything like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. this is going to be such an awesome conversation. Okay, let's go. All right. So uh, I'm going to give you the floor. So tell us a little bit about kind of what you're clearly unique. That's why I wanted to have you on and I bugged you on Instagram about coming on. Tell us like what makes you unique as an SLP and just your journey during your career and your schooling. Hmm. Well, definitely the debt-free experience was a big piece of me becoming an SLP and just my experience getting to this point. So where do I even begin with the debt-free experience? I mean, coming out of when graduating from high school, that's, you know, where it really starts. I was considering 
what do I do? <laughs> Where should I go to college? You know, you're looking at all of the options, but at that point I knew I didn't have a college fund. So there wasn't any landing pad for me. There wasn't anywhere that I was like, oh, you know, I could go anywhere, or do anything. Kind of when it came down to it, my parents were basically like, you could just stay here and do that. And I did, of course, apply to other schools and was, you know, curious because I mean, I feel like in anyone's heart, they want to go away because they're just like, I want to be independent. I want to go do whatever I want. But I knew I wanted to set myself up for success because I got to see how hard it was for my parents, which I guess I could preface it. My dad is a business owner his whole life. He's ran his own businesses and I got to see just how hard that experience can be for him. And just knowing that money can be a concern, you know, so I wasn't about to put myself in a situation where I was like, oh yeah, I could take 20K out or 30K or 40K or, you know, so that's a very wise thing to occur to an 18 year old. Um, <laughs> that does not occur to most 18 year olds. Were you just like really wise for your age or did you have someone like counseling you in your corner? I hear that story a lot of just like, well, I was 18 and like, I was stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I honestly, I wouldn't say anyone was necessarily counseling me. I think I was just very involved in my family's like situation. So like I was very aware of like us living in San Jose, which is a big city And then selling that place because it was expensive. It was hard for them to manage that mortgage that they had taken out. And then it was the 2008 recession. But luckily, we sold before. So I was just overly aware of money in those situations because I was like 13, 14 in those situations, seeing the money crash and all of that or the economy crash. So I think part of it is just being really conscious. I was very an observer. So just, I don't know, I think, yeah, it's a natural, I guess, like a wisdom in a way, but being really into what my parents were doing and why they were doing it, I think kind of set me up for success in that way. And it sounds like you watched your parents struggle with money and you were very aware of that even at a young age. And so I think like my parents never talked to me about money ever. Like, I mean, my parents are pretty well off. Like they never really struggled like to pay the bills or anything, but even if they had, like, I don't know if I would have known cause they, it was just never, ever talked about. So it sounds like you were kind of like your naturally observant self and then you watch them struggle. And I mean, you probably just learn the value of money and mm-hmm how much not having it can play a role in, in your stress in life in general. Like, can you think back like to any specific times where even your 14, 15 year old self are just like, I'm not doing that. Like, I can't, I don't want to do this. I mean, not necessarily a specific time, but my mindset has always been super, just very like rational and like, I'm a money saver. Like I was like six years old and I had a savings account and like, I love it. I was putting money away and I was like, Oh my God, I have like $400 at a certain point, you know? So I've just always been like really aware and excited to save. So I think just that combined with seeing how hard it could be. Yeah. Really gave mm. me some life lessons at a young age. Did your parents talk to you about money? And like, I mean, if you, you know, you said you had a savings account when you were six, like, was that part of y'all's conversation at all? Like them talking to you about money? I mean, sort of, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like there wasn't like actual like lessons necessarily. It was just like, Oh, you have a savings account now and you could put, you know, your birthday money or whatever you want to do. And Mm -hmm. um, with it. So But that's still really cool. Like that's still the the fact that they like opened that up for you. And then you kind of had a combination of like your natural tendency to save and the experiences that you had. Cause I know that's a hard decision for an 18 year old, like, especially like with media and television, especially us. Wait, hold on Paige. What year were you born? Tell me before I feel terrible. 95. 95. Okay. All right. So you were still a nineties baby. Okay. All right. (laughs) The fact that there's people that can drink alcohol who weren't alive for nine 11, I just can't deal. Um, (laughs) I think that math is right. But anyways, you know, especially like, I remember even like watching TV shows and things like that growing up as a kid, like boy meets world. Like that's the stuff Mm -hmm. that I watched. And like, 
going away to college or going to a nice fancy college was like glorified so much. And oh, so yeah. the idea of going to my local state school was like, ugh, which it oh. shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. I eventually, I eventually ended up an undergrad at my local state school when I realized how expensive my private school, I only did private school for my first year undergrad, but like it's, it dawned on me how expensive it was. So like I find, uh, I think that's a really special thing that you were able to kind of combat that and making a wise decision. So we'll take it through undergrad and then grad school. Cause I get a lot of questions about going through grad school mm-hmm. at free as well, which you also were able to accomplish. I hear a lot about how, well, you know, you can't work during grad school and it's hard to get in. You get accepted in Alaska. Well, I guess you're going about getting an apartment in Alaska. So can we like, let's transition a little bit like to the grad piece. I get a lot of questions about that. So how the heck did you do it, girl? Like just spill all the beans. I want to know. Well, the hard part is I somewhat need to talk about undergrad because I went to the same school for undergraduate and for graduate school. I went to California State University, East Bay. So because I went there for undergraduate, the professors who decide who gets in were writing my letters of recommendation. So (laughs) it really just works out wonderfully to kind of flow right into the grad program. I mean, I had really good grades, of course. So that was a helpful piece. So then when they wrote the letters of rec, they were like, well, she's awesome. So, (laughs) and I'd say that was kind of the biggest piece is being able to go through the same school and it being a state school. I did commute. I commuted really far because in undergraduate, I was commuting to a smaller extension of the campus. But then once I changed my major and did speech language pathology, communication sciences, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And for grad school, I was commuting an hour. So it was not without some sacrifice that I had to withstand that. (laughs) In undergrad, it was nice because I was going two days a week, but as grad ended up, it was more so two and then four days. Um, I did also work during both undergrad and graduate school. I worked up to my last semester of graduate school. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because I know I get a lot of questions like, well, I can't work during grad school. How are you able to make that work? It was very part-time. And I think for me, establishing it while I was an undergrad. So basically, I feel like I should talk about the job because I was an ABA registered behavior technician. So I worked with really just one client through that whole time. So I was able to just develop a really good relationship with that client and their family. So I worked with them throughout that whole time. And honestly, the experience I gained through that was so helpful. I really got to see what the home dynamic was like for an autistic child and, you know, going through the school system, like struggles at home, like parents struggles, marriage struggles, because I was in the home. I know I'm taking a detour, but (laughs) really like that experience, which is the reason I went into that position was I want to see what kinds of clients I could be working with. So that actually was another piece that supported me getting into graduate school on that first shot, because I did go from bachelor's straight to grad was that experience because if obviously the grades, the recommendations are wonderful, but that experience really can just put you over the edge of showing that, like why you want to do this and your passion behind it and stuff that I can use in sessions now. Like I really got to see the meat of my client's home life. So I really appreciate that experience. And I loved it. I still talk to that family. (laughs) Now they send me Christmas cards and um, yeah, I, at a certain point, I actually did what I wasn't supposed to do, but I didn't care at that point. (laughs) I was babysitting also for them because I just felt in my heart so sad that they couldn't find someone that they could trust and that can understand his needs. And as parents of a child with special needs or any sort of support, they didn't have family in the area. So it was even harder to just get any help. 
Yeah. Or just like to go on date night. Like I think, and I love that you brought that up because that's actually something that um, I think I spoke when I spoke with Liv from Shining Speech Therapy, we talked about like gap years and options for gap years. Like if you have to take one, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking one. Um, And that was something that like we had both talked about was like trying to get like a experience, like a, a technician, you know, whatever it is working with some of these kids. Cause yeah, like that's not something that you learn in grad school. That's something you eventually learn it in the field, but then it also depends on what setting you're in and to really understand what these parents are going through is such an amazing thing. I, I was, uh, I guess you could say like an aide, like an in-home aide for an autistic boy in undergrad and him and his family. He's who I wrote my personal statement about. And I got contacted by same um, here. Someone. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because it's just like, it just completely, you know, we're so stuck in our own little world when we're in school and we got the backpack and let's go to the student union. My friends used to call it the Stunion and eat Chick-fil-A. <laughs> like there's nothing wrong with that, but we're just so kind of stuck in that student mode and just getting some real world experience. And it helps you so much whenever you go out into the field and understand these people's home lives. So like the young boy that I worked with, like just little things, he would eat plastic. They had pica. So, I mean, they had no plastic in the house. So like when they would bring groceries in, if mom forgot to bring her reusable bags for whatever reason, and she had to have plastic bags, it was like a whole ordeal. We had to bring him outside. Like I was outside with him. We had to lock the doors so that she could come inside and bring the groceries. Just all of these like daily things that you, we don't think about, like as we're working with these kids and it's like, we Mm got to understand that. Like you got to, it's all about meeting people where they are. Mm -hmm. These are human beings. Like Mm -hmm. like that family, they could go on a date night to be able to go to the movies together. Like that's just something so, that's such a a special thing. And I I love, absolutely love that you brought that up Um, and just using that experience I mean, that, that experience made you a better therapist, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Some of it made me sad too, because I wasn't his speech therapist yet, but I was going through the program and stuff. And I was just like, ah, breaks my heart that he's like jumping around between systems or his therapist don't know how to work with him because he's a little more busy. And like, I've had to go with him to occupational therapy session because yeah, they didn't know how to work with him. So it just really gave me some insight and I was very surprised, (laughs) but yes, definitely the experience. I still, to this day will think of things like, Oh, he was having sensory meltdowns when I like learned something new and I, I would <laughs> like text her. I'm like, Hey, like, did you yes. know about this? Cause <laughs> we had enough insight to know that he wasn't having behavioral tantrums or behavioral meltdowns or whatever. And we're just like, his mom thought maybe they're migraines and they could be, but I really think it's a sensory meltdown. But in that time, I didn't know. I didn't know this right. existed. Like, mm-hmm behavior therapists don't know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's crazy how the connections just keep coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Such a beautiful thing that you could do that. And when you make connections with families like that, like I nanny for a company and then I found a family and we just got really, really close. And I nanny for that family all throughout grad school. And that's how I made money in grad school. And because mm-hmm. I had a connection to them and because if it's not Danny, I don't want anybody to come type of thing. They were able to work with my schedule. Like when you making a connection, it wasn't the same thing as like working at the movie theater, which there ain't nothing wrong with working at the movie theater. Well, maybe right now because COVID, <laughs> but anyways. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, they were very willing to work with my schedule like every semester. And basically that allowed me to be able to work and to be able to make money. I spent it on a Europe trip instead of putting it towards tuition. We're going, I've talked about that before, Paige. I wasn't as smart as you, but. (laughs) Oh, I went to Europe twice. (gasps) Oh, when? (laughs) When I graduated with my bachelor's, I went to Europe as a celebration. And then I think, I want to say it was only a year after that. I went to Europe again. (laughs) Yeah, but you can take out student loans, so (laughs) you can go to Europe. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love it. So you worked through undergrad, you worked through grad, and then also I want to highlight what you said earlier too about how you shined in undergrad and you went to a place that had a grad program. And so Mm -hmm. it was really, it made it a lot easier for you to be able to get into the grad program because the teachers already knew you. 
mm-hmm. and they were already impressed by you. So I think that's a really good little knowledge nugget there. So if you're an undergrad and you want to go to that grad program, like start shining a little bit, right? <laughs> definitely. Definitely. I always emphasize to undergrads, like make connections with your professors, go to their office hours. Like that's free. Like it was encouraged by my professors. They're like, come to my office hours. Like, you know, ask questions. That's where they get to know you. So I would go, I'm like, I need this. <laughs> like, no, I did enjoy talking to them too. Cause one of my favorites was neuroanatomy and just learning all about that. So I would just get in like tangents about specific pieces. Cause I was just curious. I just, I love to learn. I think we need to also realize that a lot of times, like our professors are probably just as geeky and nerdy about speech stuff as we are. And like all of my professors, like they wanted to talk about it. Now, obviously, like you're going to have those people who are just kind of like they're punching in the clock, like whatever. But I mean, read the room, everybody, you know, which ones those are. But finding those professors that I mean, a lot of times like they want to geek out with you, like especially a lot of the like clinical supervisors and stuff. Uh, Obviously, I had a clinic under experience in undergrad, but even in undergrad, like a lot of the master's level teachers, like they were still clinicians. So like they loved geeking out about stuff. They absolutely loved it. Did you find that? Oh yeah, definitely. They want you to come to office hours. They want to talk about this stuff with you. They want to see your passion and see your excitement for the field. So yeah, I definitely agree. Utilize them. Ask your questions. They're happy to answer them. For you personally, like, was that a comfort zone thing for you? Because I know, I mean, we can say that now that we've been in the field for a few years, but I, I'm sure there's some listeners, especially if they're younger listeners who are maybe a little uh, scared to go in there. How did you, like, were you just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to go talk to them? Or was it sort of, you had to get out of your comfort zone for that? Sometimes I would bring a buddy. Sometimes I would bring someone to go with me because we had the same question, you know? So like, yeah, let, let's go get our answer. <laughs> And after that point of like going with someone, then I bet my confidence to be able to go by myself and ask those questions because it'll only help you to kind of get some more insight or understand what is confusing you. I love that. And I I love how you mentioned the word like relationships. I think especially with everything going on in the world right now, you know, a lot of things have gone online and that importance of building relationships with, you know, those of you who aren't still in school, other professionals, I've built some amazing relationships over Instagram, like, Hey Paige, (laughs) and taking that time to, sometimes it's not always about the A and making the A and taking time, like to build relationships with your professors and build relationships, like with other people in your field or other people in your class. Definitely. And like one thing to even keep in mind, say you go to office hours and you're talking about all the knowledge that you have, but maybe you're not a great test taker. They can at least see how knowledgeable you are and see your passion. So that's at least going to reflect better than just a a low test score or whatever, you know, because then there's no answers. It's like, what's going on? Or um, maybe then they can advise you, like, do you need to be in a separate environment? You know, what's your study? Like I did have one professor talk about how to study or different things like that. So they might be able to support you in those areas too. So don't forget that they're a resource. They're there for you. That's so smart. Yes. Like, especially if you are a student who you don't have the 4.0, which you do not need a 4.0 to be a good speech therapist at all. You might need close to 4.0 to get into the lion's den that is a grad school application process. <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> but no, that's really, really great. So Paige, let's go back because I, I do want to make sure I, I we get to chat about this because I think that's a really interesting conversation. We had mentioned earlier that you were a first generation grad and- I feel like I am not. So that's why I wanted to have someone like you on to speak about the topic. Can you just talk about like some of the challenges you felt you faced, like being first generation and how you felt you were able to overcome those? And I mean, clearly, like I said, you graduated debt-free, you got your own little private practice. We're going to talk about that too in a little bit. Hmm. I'd say the main challenges was just figuring everything out, (laughs) figuring out how everything works. I mean, applying to schools, I'm a researcher. I am the person that will research things probably to the point of exhaustion, (laughs) but my main challenge was really accessing everything and trying to figure out 
where to go for things. But for the most part, I'm such like a self starter. And like, I just, once I'm on, like I found the roadmap for my program. So I'm just going to like stick to that and make sure I take all the courses. Cause as far as getting into school, I guess that process was honestly a little bit hard, like just applying to schools, but you know, high school kind of sets you up for that. So really it was balancing everything was also a struggle. (laughs) But for the most part, my parents always understood how stressful it was. So they would support me to their fullest extent. You know, that's a beauty of staying home for college, home cooked meals, guys. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like balancing everything. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Balancing, studying, commuting, getting a job, saving all those things. Not that I was doing it on my own, but it almost feels like I am. I think because they can't relate to those experiences. As far as my parents go, yeah, since they didn't have those experiences, it was really hard for them to understand the balancing act of school. along with, you know, all the other pieces of life. Yeah. Balancing the studies, balancing the homework, balancing if I did want to do volunteer experience, which I opted not to because it was a commute, (laughs) Mm. but, you know, balancing then the work schedule and then trying to have fun. The one thing that I was honestly the worst at was the cleaning piece. I would just leave my room somewhat in shambles because I wasn't there that often. And that was one thing that they would get on me. They're like, oh, your room's a mess. And I'm like, I ain't got time. Right? Because it's like also balancing enjoying yourself. <laughs> like, yeah, or trying have to, to have a life. In grad school. Yeah. You had an hour commute. So, I mean, gosh, you probably had 13 hour days. Huh? Oh, gosh. There was so many times that. I considered moving closer and then I would look at rent and I was like, yeah, I guess not. (laughs) I'd get into those phases. Yeah. When I got to the point of like my last semester, it was the most torturous because I had a commute to my internship. Then I commuted to school, which it wasn't as far. And then I had classes all the way through the night. So it was just like, I would call my then boyfriend, now fiance, (laughs) um, and just like be, you know, I'd cry or be overwhelmed. I can't do this, but I know I only have so much longer. (laughs) Oof, we all have that story, huh? Oh, yes. I think there's power in like, this is a season. And that's something that, I mean, like I myself, I just turned 29. So you're, you know, you're in your mid twenties, like you're in a different season right now, just like being engaged and starting your private practice. And that's some wisdom that I've, I've heard from people who are more uh, seasoned than myself, that you go through, life has seasons. And it's sort of like, especially with specific things, like grad school is a very specific season. And just sort of understanding, like you said earlier, you use the word sacrifice. And I feel like people need to hear that word. Anything worth having, you're going to have to sacrifice for. It's just all about what are you willing to sacrifice to win? And I mean, Paige, you are honestly... You're cracking me up because you're so like chill. Like your voice is so even tone. Like you see it like a very calm person, but what you've accomplished is like freaking fire. Like, (laughs) (laughs) like even when I was asking you about you being a first gen getting to school, like you just did the dang thing. Like if I didn't know the answer to the question, like I went and looked it up, like not waiting for somebody to answer it for you or waiting for somebody to do it for you. Or just making decisions without knowing anything. Because I think that's a trap a lot of us can get into is making decisions either without wise counsel or without any knowledge. If you do not have access to wise counsel and you just like, you just did it. Like, can you tell us a little bit about your mindset? It almost, from what you're telling me, like, it's almost like for you, like failure, debt, like all this other stuff, like wasn't even an option in your head. Yeah, pretty much. I think you hit the nail on the head. (laughs) I mean, okay, I should say one thing. I should say this. I almost didn't apply to grad school. Oh, okay. Tell us about that. I was starting to just doubt myself and think that I couldn't get in. I thought there was just even despite having good grades, despite having the letters of rec, I just was unsure. I was like, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I want to take the time because At that point, I was probably burnt out. (laughs) 
But I had a professor who said that I was one of the top students in the class. And like, that was something, you know, he was going to put in his letter of rec. And he was like, you definitely should apply because I'm pretty sure you'd get in. And I was like, oh my God, like (laughs) what? So it kind of actually took an exterior person to tell me that I could do it. Yeah, I had to throw that in there because it sounds like I just had this mindset that I could do it, but I was somewhat doubtful. I was like, there's so many applicants and am I good enough? Thank you for sharing that with us. Like there was a fear of failure at that point, right? Mm -hmm. Can you talk to us a little bit about like that mindset, like on one hand, you had this point where clearly failure wasn't an option. Like it didn't really occur to you, but then you did have a moment in time where you were like, oh, like it, it was almost like the weight of all of the things just fell on your shoulders. And cause I mean, that applying to grad school process is very daunting. Like that was not like Danny ain't ever doing that again. Like that, I don't think that's, <laughs> I think that's why like PhD ain't happening. Like I really don't want to do that. Can you tell us about like, was it just a mindset shift? Like what was the difference between those two times? Like a little bit of insight into your page brain. So like what shifted in me to then be like, I'm going to apply. Honestly, that one conversation flipped everything for me. Cause then I went and told my parents that news and they're like, oh my gosh, Paige, you have to do it. You have to apply. So everyone is hyping me up. My whole you know, network is like, yeah, you can do this. You can do this. And I was like, okay, I can do this. So in a way, yeah, it was my community kind of being like my support system was like, you can do this. And, you know, we're here to support you. Applying, you know, it's not an easy task. And I didn't apply to that many grad schools. I only got into this school. I will say that too. I only applied to like three (laughs) because I also was like smart in the sense that, well, I considered taking the GRE and I was possibly going to do it. But with the overwhelm of finishing up the fourth year of undergrad, I was like, I can't. And luckily that school, my undergrad and grad school that I worked to get into, didn't need it at that time. I don't know if they do now. I can't remember. So that was something that I just took off the table. I was like, only schools that don't need the GRE, I'm going to apply to because I just Mm. don't have that blocked in anymore. I I can't do that (laughs) because that is ridiculous. (laughs) That's smart. Like that's setting boundaries for yourself. Like you knew where your limits were and like, were you prepared to accept the consequences of not applying to that many schools? Like, was that kind of where your head was at? Well, I also knew that I didn't really want to live in another state because tuition costs. So I was only looking at California state schools. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I didn't mind having just a few because I figured, you know, if I don't get into these few, at least I didn't waste that much money. I can always try the GRE next year. I had plan B and everything also planned. I looked at becoming a slipper. I was seeing how to do that. I'm a researcher through and through. I research all my plans, all my options. So you got through grad school. Oh, Paige, you're just giving me all these like great little nuggets to say. Oh, I love it. So you set yourself up to not make a financially poor decision for graduate school. Like you kind of were like, I'm not even, I'm not going to apply to that school. That's $50,000 because like that $50,000 a year. Cause like, that's not even an option. Mm-hmm. And I think there's also a lot of wisdom in that, in having a certain headspace and certain priorities when you enter it. Question, did you know how much SLPs make in your area? Like before you became an SLP, like, was that something that you, cause you're a researcher, was that something that you knew already? I did research it, but it's so inconclusive to be honest. Yeah. I somewhat knew, but I wasn't like positive. I couldn't like get an exact Cause there's so much variety in my area mm-hmm. as far as like, I realized, cause I'm with a contracting company in the schools. I make more than medical SLPs do. In your area? Mm-hmm. Ah, but would you say like medical SLPs that are employee status? Yes. Cause so that might be. They work in a hospital, right. but yeah, they're employees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which caveat, I, I am going to have an episode guys at some point about, I'm going to have somebody on where I talk about contracting versus employees, but just a little caveat, contract jobs are going to make more money than employee jobs because your contract jobs, you have to withhold your own taxes. Okay. But see the confusing right? part with what I said was that I'm technically an employee of my contracting company. Yes. That's how I was for my CF. Okay. Got you. So you are an employee. You have a W-2. 
Yes. But yes. they contract with the schools. Oh, that's another good. Oh, you're giving me all the nuggets page. I'm not, I'm writing that down. <laughs> <laughs> so you set yourself up, like you made decisions on the front end. You made intentional decisions. You know, I love to bark that word. You made intentional decisions on the front end. You didn't set yourself up to make stupid decisions on the later end. You know, if there's the, oh, well, all I got into was the $50,000 school. Like you didn't even apply to the $50,000 a year school. There's the, oh, well, I had to take out all these loans to go live on campus or live near campus. You applied to places that you could commute to. Like Mm -hmm. you already had that decision in your head beforehand. And you also set yourself up like things like, talking to professors like at the school that you were at in undergrad, like I'm a researcher too. Like I'm the exact same way. You had thought of these things beforehand. And I think that there's so much wisdom in that because a lot of people, they just kind of like, like they're very, instead of being proactive, being reactive. So Mm -hmm. you were, again, I keep bringing up the school application thing because I think it's so, so important. You were proactive with where you even applied versus being reactive to, well, this is the only place I got in. You were proactive to where you applied insofar as like distance and commuting. So you wouldn't have to pay for an apartment. Like having your own apartment have been fun. Like I'm sure. And I know you thought about it, right? Yeah, but like what kept you from sort of succumbing and giving into that. Cause I mean, I know that our commute was not fun. Let me tell you too. I live in a very trafficy area. So uh. sometimes my commute <laughs> would be an hour and a half. Oh gosh. You sweet, sweet child. <laughs> oh goodness gracious. <laughs> How did you stay focused and not get distracted? I mean, the commute is just a really good specific example of like, it would have been really easy for you to get distracted and just be like, you know what? Let me just take out a loan. Let me just take out 10, 15 grand in loans and get an apartment. My life will be so much easier. Like, how did you stay focused? Because you are clearly a very focused person. You know, the other big piece is I live in a really, like the Bay Area is expensive. So looking at the rent costs, just like, oh, I can't give that much money to you guys. I can't, (laughs) I can't do that. And just as far as the commute goes, I'll be honest, at a certain point, I mean, it would vary. I got into a car accident actually once on that commute. I got rear-ended on the freeway. It was a four or five lane freeway too. So everybody's, you know, now there's traffic because of me. So (laughs) yeah, that was somewhat traumatizing. (laughs) I was going to say though, that the commute also became something that I enjoyed. I listened to podcasts. I listened to music. Like I made it become something that I appreciate because after a long day of jam-packed lecture, you just like need to decompress. So I learned to enjoy it and take it as like a me time. So I guess it's somewhat taking what you might dislike and turning it into something you might like. I guess because I also knew that there was so many cons to moving over there, how expensive Mm. it was. Now I have a loan that I have to pay off and I wanted to just always set myself up for success at the end. So then I don't have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, and now like coming out of school with no student loans, like you're ahead of where I was whenever I was your age. Wasn't that, which wasn't, I guess, I don't know. How old are you, Paige? I'm 25. 25. Okay. All right. Is it bad that 25 seems like so long ago? Does that make me old? Even though? (laughs) No, I think that's actually surprising because I also feel like 21, I guess that does feel long ago. Yeah. (laughs) I was a baby. What? I'm like, what what was I doing then? Oh, I was going to school. (laughs) And you know, what's amazing too, like all of those decisions that you made. And I, and I also want to go back to how you understood the value of a dollar and the value of money. And I think, you know, for anyone listening who is potentially facing some of these decisions, if you don't understand the value of a dollar and where a dollar comes from, you need to put yourself up to understand where it comes from. Because like, when you looked at those rent prices, like that's what you saw. You were like, dang, like it would take me like, that's like a whole month of my part-time job I'd have to pay just for rent. Like it's not worth it. Like understanding that value of a dollar. And then also you, all those decisions that you made, you know, years and years ago, have set you up. It's the same thing that happened to me. Those wise decisions you made years ago have now set you up to be able to do something that like you were expecting to be able to start a private practice or start one, or if like that was something that's been more recent for you. But tell us about that. Like you just started your private practice. You saw your, one of your kiddos today, you said. 
and you're kind of like in the thick of starting that now. So can you tell us a little bit about that? And even if you don't mind sharing, like how you've been able to sort of financially prepare for that? You know, the funny thing is, is I honestly, I don't know if I would have have thought about starting a private practice if I had not started my Instagram page. Ah, okay. (laughs) Um, Like hearing other SLP stories and how they did it, it just like wasn't too much in my mind. It somewhat was, but you want to know the funny thing is my dad being a business owner didn't want me to start my own business. (laughs) Interesting. Tell us about that. It's because I'd say he's a little bit of a workaholic and he works himself to burnout that he assumes that that's what could happen to me. But I learned from all you guys to like, if I'm getting close to burnout, I need to hire people. I need help then. That's what that means. Like I need more support or not overbook myself. Like Yeah. I almost feel like I could give my own dad advice, but he would hate that. (laughs) (laughs) What is it? Have you heard of a, what is it called? Powdered butt syndrome. Have you heard of that? Okay. So apparently it's basically like once someone's powdered your butt, they don't want any advice from you about money or sex. (laughs) 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 I think I I hear that on the Dave Ramsey show. I was like, yeah, that's about right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) So you got like inspired by this sort of, you know, by the way, if you're not on Instagram and sort of that Instagram SLP community, totally go, even if you don't want to post and like, you know, post videos of yourself, like just go follow people because there's a great community of SLPs on Instagram. I've kind of gotten away from Facebook, but there's a great, (laughs) there's a great community of SLPs on Instagram. So you know, you kind of got inspired to kind of start your own private practice. Can you tell us a little bit about like where, you know, where you're at now and what your plans are for the future for your private practice and Instagram and all that fun stuff? Ooh, I do want to say one more thing about inspiration though. Um, Because of COVID, my school had to be fully virtual. Like that's what they chose at least to be fully virtual. And I've been doing that this whole school year. So I was able to connect with families and I realized how much I missed that piece of connecting with parents and having them in my sessions. I got to see my kids make so much progress during this time because I've been able to access the parents. So that was another piece that just drove me into like, wow, maybe that's where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be working with parents and supporting them and their little ones because that's just so much like more fulfilling for me. I started to realize that I liked this platform being, you know, virtual with the families more than I liked being in the schools where I'm just like running around like crazy. There's meetings, blah, blah, blah. Like, I mean, I still have meetings, of course, but I really just love that parent component, that parent coaching piece. So I just had to throw that in there because I think without COVID, I also wouldn't have thought about needing a change because I only knew one thing before was being in the schools. And that was like, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Like, you know, as far as my private practice, I'd say 99% sure. No, I should just say hundred percent. I'm like, <laughs> do it. I'll <laughs> I'm pretty positive. I'll say that much that I am just going to quit my job and go full force into the private practice realm. My one private practice client is so supportive. They're like, we'll tell people about you. Like, (laughs) and it's just been such a joy working with that client. Like I'm going on a weekend to see this client because it's just hard to do on a weekday and it is a commute. I chose to commute to this client because it was my ideal client. So I was like, I'm doing that. She actually reached out to me on Instagram. Oh, really? So that's how you got your first client was your Instagram page. Yeah. I love it. Hey, and it all starts, what does uh, Jenna Castor-Casbon say? It all starts with one. Yeah. It all starts with one client. And when you serve people well, you will never have to beg for clients when you serve people well. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. It's like when you really put your intention into something, it's going to come back. It's going to come for you. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. So 
I'm planning to, you know, take that feed the peds course and get another specialization because I'm really focused right now with autistic children and supporting them in the homes, supporting families. And I love natural language acquisition and sensory, all that good stuff, sensory integration. Yeah. Now I'm like, cause I always had a passion for that. I had a passion for it or excitement, I should say in grad school, but I never got an experience in it. I got an adult medical experience, but not a pediatric one. Mm. So I'm just like, wow. Like when you really take on something like a private practice, you can choose who you serve. And it's just really got me more motivated and passionate. And I already see my joy and excitement coming for it. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with the private practice. I'm, I'm excited. (laughs) Yes. I can see like your cheeks, like beaming right now as you're talking, (laughs) y'all can't see her because we're on zoom and we're not recording the video, but we're recording the audio, but just like, I can like see you getting super excited about it. And like, that's how it should be. And Mm -hmm. I love how you said, you know, you may not have gotten these experiences in grad school. Well, so what? Like just go get it now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, you know, there are some people who had the fortune to be mentored and by people when they were in grad school and blah, blah, blah. And like, that's great. Like I'm happy for them. But I mean, not a lot of us didn't get that, but that doesn't mean you can't go do the day thing. Just don't oversell yourself. Like, you know, take some CEUs be obviously you don't want to deceitful about like what your, you know, how much training you have in certain areas or anything like that. And obviously always operate with something that you're comfortable with. If you've never, ever worked with infants before, you probably shouldn't go take like a preemie (laughs) or something like that, but go take some courses. Like all of my specializations, no one mentored me. Like I've never really had a mentor. Like I've just never really had one. I wish I had one, but yeah, I've just had to learn. Like I've just figured it out and that's okay. Especially like you said, like you're choosing that this is what I want to do. So you said you're 99. We'll just round that up to hundred percent, whatever math, um, percent sure that you're just going to go like full force. And is that for, so we're recording this in May, like mid-May. Is that for next school year? Like you're thinking about doing that next school year? What's the mm-hmm. time on that? Yeah. So the ideal piece or the nice part about what the position I'm in right now is I will actually be getting paid through the summer too. So that's kind of nice that because I'm 12 months salaried, I guess I should say, and not just like the 10 month or whatever the school year is. So I'll be getting at least some paychecks throughout those months, but my school year would probably had started in August. I don't know mid-August or something. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm just like, I want to do my practice. Yeah. (laughs) I want to go full force into it. So you're, you're probably not going to go back to your school job. You're probably just going to use, which is actually really nice. Like while you're getting some income during the summer, you'll start marketing and building your private practice during the summer. Exactly. That's my goal. Awesome. So how are you kind of preparing? Cause I get this question a lot as well, financially for going into private practice. First of all, you don't need a bunch of money to start a private practice, but just in so far as potentially having like a dip in income, which you're going to be able to negate a little bit with the summer thing, but do you have any like wisdom or things that you have in mind to prepare financially? Like, cause I'm, I'm a worst case scenario type of girl. Like, okay. Like worst case scenario. When I started, I have zero clients. Are we going to get kicked out of our apartment? Like that, (laughs) you know, can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, obviously savings is something to use. (laughs) A segue is um, also BTC, Bitcoin, Mm -hmm. is a fallback plan Mm -hmm. um, since, you know, I acquire some and my fiance actually owns his own business as well. So that's another at least source of income. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of have a couple little things. And honestly, I've done it really slowly too, because I've already, you know, purchased some things that I've needed for my practice since I already have one client. I had to kind of get my business license, get the insurance. I bought independent clinicians forms, super useful. Love that. I have them too. They're fabulous. Yeah. So really just, I guess in my mind, it's kind of back to what you said before is that I have no, I mean, I do have backup plans, but like my main goal this summer is to get clients. Yeah. I am going to preschools. I'm going to go to daycares. I'm going to do what I got to do so that I don't have to utilize too much savings Mm -hmm. or too much, you know, of those backup plans. 
Yeah. You seem like a, just a very focused person and it's like, obviously you want to walk in wisdom and, and guys, when she says Bitcoin, by the way, and we get chat about that too. If you like, she bought Bitcoin back in like 2014. So she's, uh, she's doing well in Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, she's done well in Bitcoin. Cause she got in early. Cause you told me your brother had kind of told you, Hey, like go throw some money in there. Um, yes. super into it. When she says Bitcoin, yes. that's what she means by the way. <laughs> and I'll tell you this. It was like, I know it was like 300 when I bought it. So, oh goodness gracious. <laughs> wow. Oh goodness. I think gracious. it was even less too sometimes. I think I even got in like the first one I bought was like even lower. It was like, you know. <laughs> I see yeah. like that's a few things I wish I could just go tell my old self. <laughs> I know, right? I know cuz like even myself I'm like I wish you bought more like <laughs> but like, I could retire know. like <laughs> I don't even need to start a private practice. I can just retire right now. <laughs> but I do like how you said, like you have these things kind of in place. And would you mind talking to us a little bit? I've discussed it, like have meet my husband and I being on the same page. And you mentioned like that your fiance has his own business, that y'all like kind of help each other out financially and things like that. Would you mind talking to us about you know, have you had that conversation with him? Like, are y'all like support, like all that type of stuff? Yeah, I've definitely, so we've talked a bunch about it because I'm like a broken record. <laughs> you can't get me to shut up about uh -huh. a private practice. He's so supportive because he knows that bigger risk, bigger reward. Like if this goes, you know, the way that we want it to go and I'm going to put it out there, it will, it will go the way I yes. want it to go. We do um, have, yes. <laughs> it's going to be exactly the life that we want. Mm -hmm. So he's on the same page with me. He has even big plans for his business, but in this time being, he knows that he, you know, shouldn't go too big into his plans because we kind of got to get mine situated. So yeah. Um, yeah, he's definitely been super supportive within going for this and yeah. So I'm definitely thankful for that. I mean, that, and that is so, so important is having, uh, like, if you do have a spouse or a partner, they are on board with you, especially if you guys share anything financially. I mean, that is for a while, like, I mean, I started my private practice in the middle, like the last day at my full-time job was the day that closed the schools for COVID. Um, so <laughs> it was, yes. So that was something we had, we didn't talk about COVID beforehand, but just the idea of my income dropping for a few months and it just made everything so like, doesn't it just make everything so much easier? Like to know when you have their support, if worst case scenario, if you don't get as many clients as you thought you would, you know, you have someone in your corner saying like, it's okay. I'm here to support you versus looking at you like, mm -hmm, yeah, you told me you were going to get them clients, but you didn't get them. Mm -hmm, whatever. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. No, I mean, it's honestly like, I try not to overwhelmingly think about that piece too, which I know is not great. Like I like to have plans, but I also to help my mindset, I need to not think too much about like not getting the clients. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I mean, it sounds like you know yourself very well too, which is something I talk about a lot, like whether it's money or career or even any relationships at all, just like knowing what crap you need to filter out of your mind so that you can accomplish the goals that you want to accomplish. And like, we're all different, but at the end of the day, like what's going to help you get where you want to be? Exactly. Exactly. And that's honestly what has been motivating me so much because I know what I truly want is a flexible schedule. I want to support my kids the best way I can and still make a good income. And I've realized that the best way to do that is through private practice. I felt that with you. I definitely, I was vibing that with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so before I kind of let you go, cause it's like now officially dark outside, but I love <laughs> chatting with you. Do you have any like last pieces of advice or anything that you want to say for someone, uh, especially for, I feel like I get a lot of DMs from people who become very discouraged from the situations that they're in and sort of, I kind of try to giving some counsel on persevering and having a plan and what your values are and all that stuff. But can you give some insight? Cause you've had some things stacked against you. Like you really have, but like, you don't even really act like they've been stacked against you. Like even in talking with you, like you do not have a complaining bone in your body. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, like, like, I mean, it's, 
like it's like I said, you're just so chill. Like, yeah, I just commute in an hour. I turn it into something positive and listen to podcasts made to me time, made it into me time. Like what advice or anything that you can give us or insight for like how you just are just doing it. You're just like, okay, I'm like, I'm just going to do it. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's a big question or <laughs> advice. That also got me a little teary. So <laughs> I definitely would just say, know what you value. Yeah. That's a big one. Know what you value because that's, what's going to drive you. If you know that being debt-free or getting this position, you know, becoming an SLP is what you really want. That's what you want. Don't let anything stop you. I don't know. <laughs> that that feels like it's just like something that people say that isn't actually useful, <laughs> but really just if you have to be intentional with writing it out or figuring out what your true passions are or where they lie, maybe that's helpful for you, but just really finding what you value so you can figure out a plan and if plan A doesn't work, use plan B. <laughs> I feel like you've said that before. There's all the letters in the alphabet. <laughs> so figure out the plan to get there. Never let anyone tell you anything. I mean, if it's positive, I guess you could take their advice. <laughs> yeah. If, it, if it's like <laughs> pumping you up, go for it. <laughs> yeah. But like, if someone's trying to knock you and tell you, you can't do it, you can, I know you can do it. And you just have to find what works for you. How are you going to get there? Figure out your plan. Do your research. <laughs> yes. So many people, I get so many questions and I, I love when people ask me questions. Like, I love it. But there's many times I get questions where it's like, like this could have easily been Googled. <laughs> like, you don't need my advice. Like, you just need to go Google it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're so blessed to have the internet with all these resources and people give you free information on blogs or other things. Utilize that books. If you have to buy it, do it, figure out what you need to get to where you want to be. Mm -hmm. You have to know where you want to be. You have to know what your values are and you have to know what your non-negotiables are and being intentional about those non-negotiables. Like for me, like being debt-free is a non-negotiable, but it's not just about being debt-free. It's what being debt-free allows us to do. And that just comes with, I mean, you gotta take the time to figure it out. Like we just get, so I had this conversation with my husband earlier. Like we get so caught up in the daily, we get up, we make the smoothie, we make the breakfast, we put the coffee on, we get in the car, we, we go to work, we see the kids or we, we're going to see the patients or we go to the hospital and then we come home and then we got dinner and then if you got kids, you got to bathe and bath and blah, blah, blah. We get so caught up in the daily that like, you know, 10 years later, you're like, how the heck did I even get here, baby? Like, what's going on? You got to take that time to think about what you want and for yourself, like for you as an individual. And then even like within your relationships, like within, you know, with you and your fiance or like within my marriage, like my husband and I, every anniversary I have like a little notebook. We set our goals for the year. Like we sit there like that. We take a trip for our anniversary and like, that's what we do. We set our goals for the year. There's a few other things that we do, like something that we, you know, thought the other person has done well the year before, something that I'd like for him to keep doing, or he'd like for him, he, he, me to keep doing or whatever. But like, you have to sit down and like have those conversations with each other. And you have to sit down and have those conversations with yourself and know what you need. Like Paige, like your tendency, like you're just like a freaking doer. I really love you. Like you just do it. Like you're just kind of like, ah, like I'm just going to get it done. Cool. Like failure is not an option for you. And like, that's a really amazing tendency that you have. But if you don't have that tendency, that doesn't mean that you can't accomplish things that she's accomplished. You might need to take that extra second to think about it. Maybe you need to journal it. I know some people, they think journaling's stupid. I don't know some people that they think journaling is like the best thing in the whole world. Like figure out what it is that you need to do to make yourself successful and quit putting yourself in situations that are going to allow you to not be successful. Like even with like everything that you've talked about, you didn't set yourself up for failure. Yeah. So it, it made it even easier to not have failure as an option for you, which I love. Definitely. <laughs> to an extent, it's knowing your values and like trusting your instinct because I know this is like a random tangent, but I was a nursing major before. And when I got declined to nursing school, I was like, you know, I actually don't even really want to go to nursing school. So good, <laughs> good. I'm going to figure out what I'm really passionate about. So 
Mm-hmm. Trust you did it. your gut. Trust yourself because you you know what you want. You don't need to listen to the other voices. Listen to you. Find what you're passionate about. And honestly, that might be the hardest piece for some people, finding that passion. Yeah. Or like, I feel a lot of us don't even know what our options are. Yeah. Like, what am I passionate about? I don't know. Well, do you do you know what your options are? I got that question about, about niching down. Well, what do I niche down in? Well, do you know what your options are? You know, it's mm-hmm. where you got to go research like Miss Page over here. <laughs> you know, I do love the research, but I also research to a fault. Like, like, be like that too. Totally. <laughs> like, okay, I'll give you a good example. Comfy shorts, comfy sweats that I wanted to lounge in the house. Do I want Target? I read the reviews. <laughs> oh, they're crappy. Okay. I'm not going to get it there. Like, <laughs> like that too. <laughs> and that's like knowing yourself and knowing when to put the Target computer down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, what am I doing? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, <laughs> Paige, thank you so much for coming on. This was an awesome conversation. I mean, I knew it was going to be an awesome conversation, but thank you so much for taking your time to come and chat with me. We'll have to have you on for part two, maybe like a year from now where you are in your private practice. I think everybody would really love to kind of know where you're at and tell us really quick, where can we find you on Instagram? Oh yes. You can find me at the speechy page. <laughs> but it's page p-a-i-g-e yes like my name mm-hmm. yes 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 perfect and i will have all of her information in the show notes so that you guys can go check it out and what's your private practice name blooming speech therapy cute i love it i love it do you have your website up yet or no i'm working on it you're working on it okay <laughs> well you let me know if her website's up i'll go ahead and put her website thing in the um in the show notes whenever you get your website up okay girl Thank you. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. I hope you have a great rest of your night. Thank you. You too. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to hear more no fluff, getting the dang thing done stuff for myself and other real life SLPs, be sure to leave a review on Apple podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com slash speech goods. If you found this content valuable, please share it with others so we can get this message out there. And if you haven't already, join us on Instagram. Handle is at speechgoods. See you there.